Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. Now, what you're hearing from the culture is not right. Pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. All right, welcome to another episode of the High Impact Man podcast. This is uh, one we've been uh, planning on, but had to wait for our guests to, to be ready to do this. And I think that you're all going to be really uh, touched by this story. Um, we all have been. He's a, a member of our PACs here in the Susquehanna Valley. I uh, live in Danville, Pennsylvania, and uh, we've known him uh, in the community. Uh, he uh, joined F3 uh, and really touched a lot of people with the story you're about to hear, a story of overcoming, you know, frankly, a near-death experience. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one. My name is Nevin Gorky. I'm known as DFib in the gloom to my F3 friends. I'm joined, as always, by Troy Klinger, known as Dial-Up in the gloom. Dial-Up, you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Looking forward to this one. Uh, be our first broadcast of a miracle, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's not uh, an understatement. So, um, but... We do have to mention that beautiful charcuterie board I put together. For it us. is a nice charcuterie board. Yeah. It's like a caveman kind of thing. Caveman, yes. Yeah. Meat, cheese, crackers. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, the only thing we're missing <laughs> is a big turkey lake. Smoke, right. Yeah, smoke turkey lake. Yeah, smoke turkey right. lake. All right. Well, um, so his our guest's name is Brian Lieberman. He's known in the gloom as Peloton, although um, he would have had a much cooler name if the packs would have agreed <laughs> with me. Uh, he, uh, I'll let him tell his story, but uh, he he works in human resources here at the hospital that Dial-Up and I work at, and so HR, and so of course I came up with Puff and Stuff. And HR Puff and Stuff. HR Puff and Stuff, which you didn't know what that was. Uh, you, let's be clear, you and Porky's were like the only two that knew what the heck you were talking about. Right, All right, Porky's the only one who knew what I, my reference, no one else knew. So for those of you who don't know, go look it up, YouTube HR Puff and Stuff. It was a great kids show back in the 70s. Yeah. Pre-Barney, pre-Barney. He was a dinosaur. <laughs> I did Google it to see it, and uh, that's, yeah. HR, puffin stuff. It would have been okay. Yeah, it would have been great. But and you would have been okay with it. I would have been good with it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, he got the name Peloton. So Peloton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's our honor to have you here. So uh, just so all the F3 guys know, how did you get involved? When did you get involved with F3? Who um, EH'd you? Who brought you in? And, and how did you get the name Peloton? Yeah, so uh, Troy Klinger is the one who brought me in, dial-up. Uh, he really brought me in through running. Running has been a passion of mine forever, and uh, Troy said about coming to this group of F3, and I kind of heard of it, didn't really look into it too much, but the running attracted me. And so I would come, and I would do the pre-F3 workout of running. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe F3 will become a running club someday. <laughs> uh, and then finally... Uh, after doing so many uh, pre-F3 runs and not staying for the actual workout, I stayed for a workout. And I realized that, yeah, you, you guys are intense. <laughs> um, carrying around a cinder block is not my cup of tea, but uh, <laughs> ha had fun with you all. And and uh, Puff and Stuff would have been good. HR Puff and Stuff would have been good. I, I said to somebody the other day, they were asking what my F3 name was, and I said Peloton. And I do love to bike. I've uh, switched over to mountain biking, and I do some some road biking, but my wife hasn't missed a day of Peloton in four years. So wow. I said to her, I think you gave me the name Peloton <clears throat> because uh, you're the one who does it all the time and, and you're the best athlete in our family, probably. 
Uh, although my son's trying to prove her differently every day. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, his son is a great athlete. Dial up. You tell, you could tell everybody about that. Yeah. So, so Peloton's son is, uh, won, won the cross country state title this past year for Danville, um, in two way last year in three, a track, which is extremely competitive, uh, especially last year was extremely competitive in PA with second place, um, at the state meet. He has uh, two, what, third two, third or fourth place finishes at the indoor state meet. And most likely, if he stays healthy and everything goes as planned, he'll probably be the favorite going into states this year um, for track and field uh, in the 30. And, and when we're talking about track and field, 3,200 meter run or indoors, 3,000 meters. So he's a, he's a stud uh, uh, and uh, he's a good miler as well. Although he doesn't run that too often, but. Uh, my my son's the second fastest second fastest 1600 meter runner in Danville history. He just was unfortunate to come through uh, the school at the same time that uh, Mr. Rory Lieberman was coming through, yeah, <laughs> coming through and claimed the record before he got to it. But your son Pong F3 Pong yeah. is the uh, high school's champion steeplechase runner. Yeah, and Coach Vela has promised Evan that he will not let Rory run the steeplechase. <laughs> <laughs> To take that record, I don't think I want Rory running. This yeah, Rory. Yeah, either, that's one of those so. you don't want to take the chance of getting injured. No, he's too good at what he does. <laughs> uh, state champion, uh, cross country guy, and he's going to he's going to University of Pennsylvania. So very proud of him for that. He Absolutely. wants to study nursing and then probably go on to be a CRNA. Uh, but looking forward to his next four years of competing and seeing what uh, Coach Dolan and the University of Pennsylvania brings to him. But I, I mentioned that my wife is probably the best athlete, and the reason I say that is another humbling experience. I was sharing a humbling experience that I'm not going to share online right now. One is enough. But a, a few years ago, we did 23andMe, really to just kind of learn a little bit more about our ancestry. That's what we were interested in, confirming what we thought we knew, discovering a little bit more. Well, I get a call at work the one day. As the results come in, they come in on the app on your phone. And my wife says, hey, did you get this thing uh, that says that you have the muscle composition of an elite athlete. I said, what are you talking about? She said, it's in 23andMe. I said, no, it's not. That that doesn't do that. Yeah, I didn't think it did. And she said, no, it does. And so I get out my phone and I'm furiously looking around. How do you get there? Let me see, let me see. Mm-hmm. I find it and I'm regular. And <laughs> she <laughs> says, <laughs> she, she has the, the muscle composition of an elite athlete. So Rory hasn't done 23andMe, but I believe that she's probably passed the genetics yeah. along to him, which I'm grateful for. And he's really showing his potential right now with running. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, to go to an Ivy League school, that's that's uh, something to be really proud of. All right. Well, let's uh, before we get into the, the story that uh, was really uh, such an impactful story. Let's let's start from the beginning. Tell us how you grew up, where you grew up, what that was like. Yeah. So I grew up in Sunbury, which is just about a half hour here from Danville. So I'm pretty much a local guy, uh, you know, born and raised there. Actually lived in, in Washington, D.C., I think, until I was about four. But really all my memories are, are from Sunbury. Uh, both my parents were teachers. My dad was a guidance counselor. Uh, so growing up, I had, um, you know, really a great upbringing, I would say. My mom was a Catholic school teacher. I went to Catholic school uh, through eighth grade. But I think back to growing up and having uh, summers off because my parents had summers off. And mm. my brother and I lived uh, in a neighborhood, and I have a sister as well. We lived in a neighborhood where there was a little pitch and putt golf course that we could walk to. And so my parents would get us a pass to play golf, and we would play it every morning, and then we would swim every afternoon. That's a pretty pretty good summer to have. Yeah. Um, and having you know parents who didn't have to work in the summertime you know, just allowed that to happen. 
Went to high school at Chickalimi. I ran there. Um, I thought I was a decent runner until I watched what my son can do. I'm, <laughs> I'm an average runner, uh, but uh, enjoyed it. Went on to Penn State. Met my wife at Penn State and uh, my my senior year. Actually, we met my junior year. She was one year younger than me. We met at a party and she said to me, um, where are you from? And at Penn State, you know, everyone was said they were from Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or New York, New Jersey. Like, and even if they were close to there, they would name that. Well, being in Sunbury, that's basically middle of Pennsylvania. I couldn't claim that. So I said, I'm from this really small town. She said, oh, I'm from a small town too. You know, just tell me. And I said, Sunbury. She started laughing. And I thought, oh God, you know, who do you know from Sunbury? <laughs> you know, what, what do you know about Sunbury? And uh, I said, well, where are you from? And she said, Shemokin. And I said, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wanted to date her instantly from that night. That's why I was talking to her. She didn't... Um, wanted to be dating me that night. But about eight months later, uh, we finally started dating and I knew that she was the one I wanted to marry. And as I share my story, you'll probably see how strong she is in my life. And mm -hmm. just everything that's happened to me recently, I just think back actually to that day and that decision and just how grateful and blessed I am to have her as, as my wife. Yeah. And for, for our listeners, Shemokin is basically the next town over. Well, yeah, and, she, and she's obviously a sophisticated lady if she and if she said she was from Shemokin. Right. Because most folks would say Chemokin. Chemokin, yeah. right. Yeah, Shemokin right. is what we call part of the anthracite region. Coal, coal crackers. Coal crackers. And Sunbury's not. It's right down the road. All right. Yeah, so then, so you, did, you didn't run at Penn State, did you? No, I didn't run. I, I still ran there, but I didn't run for the team. Right. Yeah, that's a... And when, when was that? When did you graduate from Penn State? Uh, 2002. Okay, then what? Uh, then I was, so I, I got a degree in business administration. Uh, there wasn't a minor that you had to get with that, but you need to focus in something. So my um, uh, advisor was a former human resources executive, and I had a few human resources classes, and I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. And she started, you know, saying to me, well, you know, you do pretty well in these human resources classes. You seem interested in it you know, are you? And I said, yeah, you know, it, it is pretty interesting. And so I had to take 12 credits to focus on something. I took 12 credits in HR. So I graduate from Penn State. Don't still know exactly what I want to do, but I have this degree and I thought, well, I might as well at least try out HR. Well, I'm glad I tried it out because a um, little over 20 years later, uh, here I am, the chief HR officer for Geisinger Health System, which is a pretty big health system. I've had a successful career have a long ways to go yet, uh, working wise, but she must've saw something in me that I didn't see. And, uh, I do enjoy HR. There's tough parts of it, uh, but there's a lot of rewarding parts of it and the rewarding parts are helping people. And that's really a passion of mine. Yeah. That's a, uh, can you, you'll know the numbers better than I do, but can you get uh, our listeners a, an understanding of how big the Geisinger health system is? Yeah. So Geisinger, um, is about 25,000 employees, and the employees are located in central and northeastern PA. We have a number of hospitals, a number of clinics uh, serving the community. And really, I think what's uh, unique about Geisinger is it was founded over 100 years ago. It was founded to serve the community. And that mission is still strong 105, 110 years later. Yeah. And we're really all about serving the communities of northeastern and central PA. Yeah, and uh, it's, uh, in, it's a unique institution because it's a tertiary slash quaternary care center in the middle of nowhere. 
basically. So if, if you're going to get this kind of high level care, this amount of specialists and technology, usually you got to go to a uh, university type hospital or some inner city type uh, setting. So it's kind of uh, unique. And if it didn't exist, I would not be here to tell you this story today. That is true. Yeah. That is true. It's that we are very fortunate and blessed to kind of live in a, in a, uh, a community like this, which uh, you guys will find out shortly. So um, is uh, you, 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 run, you were running and you started up mountain biking, right? That's right. So, um, and before I get into that, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my daughter. Oh, yes, of uh, course. Because uh, <laughs> she'll be listening to this and there's no reason to leave her out. So uh, she's going to be 15 years old in about a month. She's a freshman in high school. She does competitive cheerleading. And that's not something that, uh, that I knew naturally. And I really don't still know it. She'll laugh when she hears that. But mm-hmm. for two and a half minutes, she does her thing. And this is a kid that when she was almost two years old, she stood on the edge of our couch and she flipped off. And that was not something we were two encouraging. Two years old. Wow. Two years old. We were not encouraging that as parents. <laughs> uh, we were freaked out why. by it that it happened. Uh-huh. She landed on her feet. And she was a type of kid that was trying to do that stuff all the time. And so we channeled that energy originally into gymnastics. It's gone on to competitive cheer, but she's what's known as the flyer. She's a person that they put up and toss, and she knows how to contort her body in all these different ways. She can walk on her hands. Uh, Troy's seen it. She's an incredible athlete as well. I have never heard of a two-year-old doing a flip without training, without like doing gymnastics or something, but two years old. I'm sure Peloton's wife has the genes for that too. (laughs) (laughs) A natural flipper. (laughs) But yeah, it's, you know, I know some people are like gymnastics isn't a sport, right? And there's probably levels and certain types of gymnastics that aren't, but what, but what Reese does is, is just crazy. Like you watch the routine and it's like sensory overload of the, of the music and then the tumbling and the, the flipping and flying through the air. I mean, it's just, there's bodies going everywhere, all synchronized to the music. And, uh, you know, we used to coach travel soccer, right? And we used to travel a lot in in this area, you know, Maryland, Jersey, PA, New York, right. all those places. Yeah. Reese goes, what, to Texas, Texas. Atlanta, yeah. Florida, yeah, Ohio. I didn't know we even did that in Danville, competitive cheerleading. Yeah, is that her, a private club type thing? It is. Her gym is uh, in Winfield, just south of Lewisburg. We're lucky that, that it's that close for us. There's girls that are part of her team that travel up to an hour and a half one way wow. to go to practice there. So um, we're, we're just lucky that it's there. But um, if any of us practiced whatever we do as much as Reese practices right. her cheerleading, we'd all be exceptional. Yeah. That, that kid works harder than, than my son works in running. It's just it's insane wow. the amount of hours yeah. that they put in. Yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea that existed in our area here because when I go to the Danville High School football games, those cheerleaders – they ain't flipping. <laughs> so I've seen those cheerleaders. So with her as being a freshman, um, a lot of her stuff is done outside of school, and we wanted her to do a school activity. She didn't know what she wanted to do going into her freshman year. We said, well, why don't you do cheerleading? She said, I'm sorry, cheerleaders who are listening. Well, that type of cheerleading isn't really cheerleading. It's not a real sport. She did it. We wouldn't let them put her up in the air. Um, they're not trained like right, people sure. are trained in, yeah. in her gym, and I didn't need to see her crashing down on the track. Uh, so I think she was one and done with uh, football cheerleading. Uh, I don't know. She's involved in recycling club right now. Way different type of thing. She'll get involved in some other things in high school, no doubt. Cr- cross country next year. She won't, she <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought she was going to be my runner. I just had that feeling uh, when she was born, but 
Uh, we'll never know, I don't think. Did you say recycling club? There's a recycling club, yes. Planet, yeah. I never heard of that either. Recycling club. Things All have right. changed since the 1980s. Do they recycle just like <laughs> plastic and glass and paper, or is there... You know, I don't know too much about exactly yeah. what she does, but yes, that's involved, and I also think there's an education component about okay, uh, you know how you should recycle and how you should live. Well, so she's part of the recycling club. I, she needs to answer this question for me: How do plastic straws and Danville get in the ocean? I just want to know that. And into a turtle's, a turtle's and nose. into a turtle. Yeah, I mean, to get in the ocean, I could see you get into a turtle, but how does it get from Danville, Pennsylvania, to the ocean? How does that happen? Well, I'll have to ask her if you guys have me back <laughs> on or you, you can invite her. We'll I, was, I went to one of the local restaurants and they gave paper straws and everybody knows they t- they're terrible. Okay. Paper straws are just terrible. I'll drink it out of the glass. But uh, I asked the, the waitress and God bless her. I think I just embarrassed her by saying, can you tell me how the plastic straws get in the ocean from here? Anyway, maybe somebody could answer that out there. I don't really care that much. Anyway. Yeah, um, so you wanted me to talk about mountain biking. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, running is is my number one love. That was my passion. Uh, I was, was running uh, up until about 40 years old, and everyone told me, well, when you hit 40, like some things are going to change. Now, I wish I was dial-up here because however old he is, over 40, he's running insane right now. Um, but I had an injury, and uh, my injury I thought was just an acute injury. I uh, rolled my ankle. I need to wear a boot for eight weeks. Well, when that boot came off, my left foot was just not right, and I just had pain in in uh, two toes, and it actually, a lot of things linked back to Troy and dial up here. <laughs> um, I would run, and about eight minutes into a run, I just have excruciating pain, eight on a scale of 10, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of mountain bikers that were kind of like seething to get me into this, uh-huh. and so... Mountain bikers come in all different types. Some people look super fit. Some people have a beer belly on them. I, I uh, ride with all different types. Well, they're all amazing mountain bikers. You can't judge them by how they look and whether you think their fitness is here or there. Mountain biking is um, something that I become very passionate about. It provides that cardiovascular aspect that I love, but it is so technically challenging uh, to either climb or go downhill or go over rocks or roots. And that was something that doesn't come natural to me. It probably doesn't come natural to anybody, but I was just really um, wanted to learn it. And so that just kept me mountain biking is I, I need to be able to clear this. I, I don't know how they do this trail so easy. Why can't I do it? Right. And a little over three years later, uh, here I am back to dial up. He once told me, you got to just run through that pain it goes away in about 10 runs. And I did that. And in about five runs, that pain was gone wow. in my left foot and it's never come back. And so I mix in running and mountain biking right now. But I think probably the reason you asked about mountain biking is um, I had a major cardiac uh, event, mountain biking just six weeks ago, and I'm lucky to be here. Yeah, I. Um, this is the story that really kind of uh, hit the community hard because uh, Peloton is known by a lot of people in the community, and and uh, he he said his passion is helping people, and it really is. He's got a genuine heart for that, and so he's he's loved by a lot of people. And um, so when this happened to him, it was uh, shocking to everybody because you tell everybody how old you are. Forty three, yeah. forty three, and so young guy, super fit, and next thing you know, um, he's in the cath lab. 
after a cardiac arrest. So go ahead, tell us. Yeah, so your point of view. Uh, this was a Saturday at the end of of uh, February. February twenty fifth was the date. I personally don't. Uh, I remember one small thing about the day, but um, I don't remember the day, and I don't remember the next seven days. And I'll I'll explain. But um, as I usually do on a Saturday, Sunday, look forward to doing a mountain bike ride. And that's one of the things I sometimes can't show up for F3 because I'd be beat down and I need to do my mountain bike ride because... Just, just, to, just to interject briefly, the first workout you did was the Gobbler Challenge on Thanksgiving, right? Was that the I Gobbler Challenge? I think that was the second. The second one? Okay. Second, yeah. yeah. So, all right. Go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, um, I call up a friend of mine and he wants... This friend of mine saved my life. He wants to remain anonymous, so we won't use his name. But call up a friend of mine and said, do you want to go mountain biking? went to this small little town of Natalie, which is near Mount Carmel. And there's a, um, a state forest there, but there's a big trail system there. And we were mountain biking that day and we were 10 miles into the ride. And we had just done this big downhill section. There's a lot of downhill sections, which are pretty fun to go down. And you can also jump your bike. And apparently I jumped my bike that day. I don't typically jump. So something was going on, but I'm 10 miles into this ride, I'm not complaining about a thing, keeping up with everybody, uh, apparently having a good ride. Like I said, I can't remember it. And after this downhill, we need to climb out this trail. And I text my buddy and I said, hey, I need a breather. And when you're mountain biking, you're not going to be looking at your phone. But he finished the climb and he was up where it was flat again and surprised not to see me up there. I'm pretty good at climbing. And so he pulled his phone out and he saw my text that said, I need a breather. And he looked down the mountain and he could actually see me standing. I was off my bike and my back was to him and I was uh, just facing the woods. And he thought, well, he said he needed a breather. Maybe he needs to go to the restroom. You know, whatever's going on, I was standing upright. And so he gave me a few minutes. And a um, few minutes passed and he's, well, where is he? And so he looks back down and he doesn't see me. And so immediately was kind of worried, like, what's going on? And he rode his bike back down, and my, my friend, thank God, is a physician. He said to me, when I saw you, I knew I didn't even need to check your pulse. I knew I needed to immediately start CPR. And so he started CPR on me on, we're talking single track for anyone who hikes or has ever biked. It's a very skinny trail. He started CPR on me, and he performed uh, CPR for 20 minutes. As another person we were with, uh, she called 911. And um, I, I'm so blessed by multiple components of this story. And many people have said to me, a miracle has occurred. And I, um, I, I do think a miracle has occurred. And I, I have no idea why it's occurred to me for me. I'm grateful that it has. There's obviously more I need to do here in this world. And as I figure that out, I'm absolutely going to do it. But the friend calls 911 and the Atlas Fire Police responds or the Atlas EMS. And luckily they have a side-by-side and they were able to get me out of the mountain and get me uh, into an ambulance that was there. Many things just went my way this day. And so an ambulance was driving on Route 54 uh, to pick up, as it was described to me, little old lady to take her to appointment, not a life or death type of thing. And this came in and they knew that a different ambulance could pick up this lady. And so they got to me pretty quick, but despite the CPR, I was not stable. 
And so they need to put me in the ambulance versus put me on the helicopter originally. And they took me to Shimokin. And they, they couldn't use a helicopter because it couldn't land there? No, the helicopter did land at a little league field in Marion Heights, a small little town that's just about a mile from where the trailhead is. But okay. because I, I had they to stabilize again, you first. They had to stabilize yeah. me again. Right. They got me stable again, and then uh, Life Flight took me from Shimokin Hospital, which is Geisinger, to Geisinger's Danville Hospital. And um, and just the, the Shimokin Hospital is a smaller community hospital that Geisinger uh, <clears throat> owns, but it doesn't have a cath lab. That's right. And so the reason they needed to get you from Shimokin into Danville to the main hospital was to get to the cath, cath lab emergently. Yeah, and so... The friend who performs CPR, if you live in these communities and you're listening, you know, you're going to know a lot of physicians because Geisinger is a big hospital. We're a small town. Called another friend of ours who mountain bikes, who's an ER physician. And that ER physician started to just put things into action for people to be ready for me by the time I got to Danville. And uh, according to my cardiologist, uh, the intensivist who um, was in the cath lab, put me on ECMO, he said, you owe, and I'll say his name, Dr. Burkett, you owe him uh, much thanks in addition to the, all the praise I wanted to give Dr. Scott. He said, Jason gave you an hour. Mm-hmm. He called me. He described what was going on. We started to get everything ready. You got to Shimokin. We had an EKG on you and, and knew, you know, what we needed to do. And I think, you know, this is, some of this is where the miracle, I guess, starts. So the fact that I'm biking with a great friend of mine who's a physician who knows how to do effective CPR and does it in the middle of the woods gave me a chance for all the interventions that Geisner was able to provide um, to save my life. But those first 24 hours, according to my family and those around me, were not good. And I'm Catholic. I went to confession last Friday uh, before Easter, and there's two priests at the church that I go to, and um, there's the main priest and I know him well, Father Marco. And then actually I don't even know the other guy's name. There, there's another priest who I never see, uh, do mass. I think he really serves Geisinger, but I had him for confession and my wife whispered to me right before I went in, he's the one who did the anointing of the sick. And so I introduced myself and he's so glad to see me there. But he said to me, I anointed you. And then as I was leaving the room, I was prepared to tell your family that you weren't going to make it because it was that dire. And that was very, very sobering for me to hear that from this priest because I'm, I'm six weeks later and I, I, I feel really good. And I can't remember that day and I can't remember the seven days that I'm on life support. And so I don't have trauma in a traditional way, like emotional trauma to some extent, yes, I'm afraid, you know, when can I exercise again? How can I get my heart rate up? But I, I don't have a normal fear because, I guess, because I can't remember it. But when that priest said to me, you know, I was going to tell your family, prepare your family that you weren't going to make it, just very sobering to hear that. And I've heard it from many, many doctors. But I guess I expect to hear that from the doctors. And they're like, you're a miracle. Even doctors, scientists right. say I'm a miracle. Um, they've seen three that my cardiologist said he's seen three. I'm I'm the third in his, I think 30 plus year career of doing this. And so, you know, I feel like I've lived a good life and I try to help people and I'm, 
I'm obviously have a lot more living to do, but why a miracle was given to me, I have no idea. And, um, don't feel guilty that a miracle was given to me, but I feel guilty that I've put my family through this. Obviously I didn't try to do this, kept myself in good shape, could have eaten better, but ate, you know, ate pretty good. Didn't drink a lot. I don't smoke. You know, I tried to do all these things to keep myself healthy. And ironically, maybe this is, you know, part of the story here, but my dad died at age 43. I was 16 years old. He died of a heart attack, we believe. My mom didn't have an autopsy done on him, but we believe he died of a heart attack. And he died in the month of February of 1996, February 11th specifically. I'm 43. This is the only birthday I didn't really want to have. Just want to get you right. know, to 44. <laughs> and in February 25th, same month, same age, I have a heart attack, major yeah. one, but I survive it. And I'd say the other... The other aspect that I'm still wrapping my head around, but I'm so grateful for, so I don't have heart disease. I don't have heart damage. I don't have brain damage. Now, most people who would have a major heart attack would have some type of heart disease. I had a clot that formed somewhere in my body. Not It wasn't a clot that formed over ruptured plaque, and it traveled up my LAD artery, and uh, it was 100% blockage, and that's known as the Widowmaker, and I survived the Widowmaker. Yeah. Where that clot came from, don't know. I uh, obviously want to be conscientious. Well, I have clots in the future. I'm not known to have them in the past. But um, I, I did have COVID January 1 of this year. I never had COVID in the almost three, three years, I guess, of the pandemic. Finally got it. There is some evidence. It's small. But there's some evidence that um, people have formed clots after having COVID three to six months after. That's inconclusive whether or not that's why this happened to me. But in any case, I'm here and I feel so blessed and so grateful and so lucky and any word like that to to be here. I have a lot of living to do and look forward to the future. Yeah, I um, just just to um, explain some of the technical stuff. Yeah, go ahead, because that's why I was going to comment that not only did he survive, but the fact that neurologically, right, fine, your heart function is fine. Yeah, that it's it's mind boggling. Having worked in, I mean, you you every CV surge you can attest to yes. it. But I worked in cardiology previously as well, and when I got the news that morning of what was going down, it did not sound good. You know, just knowing what was what was happening, and uh, yeah, go ahead, you can. Yeah. Fill in some of the details. So um, Peloton mentioned ECMO. ECMO is an acronym and it stands for extracorporeal oxygen membrane. Oxygen membrane. So what basically it is, is we're, we are able to put people on what is a heart-lung machine outside the operating room. And so these big tubes have to be put in arteries in your groin, the vein and artery in your groin, the femoral artery, femoral vein. And um, the machine basically functions as your heart and your lungs. And uh, the reason for that is to hopefully have enough heart recover from the heart attack that you can then get separated from the machine. But when uh, when Peloton first hit the um, the cath lab, it had been, even though it was remarkably fast because of all the things that he described, um, still it was a long time to be without heart function. So really effective CPR, first of all. But even with that, they I think they 
had to shock you like countless times. Somebody knows the number, but a lot of not times in the cath lab. Um, so, you know, when you do that, I mean, there's, it's just basically an ongoing cardiac arrest for a long time. Yeah. And most people don't survive that. And, um, they were able to cl- open up the artery, but he had zero heart function. Heart wasn't moving after this. And so, uh, within a few days, his heart's re- recovered and, and started working and to the point where it's normal function. And uh, Pelton and I both share the same cardiologist. And this cardiologist is one of the smartest doctors I've ever known. He's been doing it for like 33 years. He's a heart fa- failure specialist, but he also does catheterizations and he's a, he's a cardiologist. He's, a, he's an old-time doctor that knows a lot. And uh, he told me that it was a miracle. He said he can't explain why he had the recovery he did. And he felt it like was, he could retire after yeah, seeing this. Yeah, I, thought, I could retire now because I've seen my miracle. So um, he, he, I forget what day it was. What was it, about day six or seven they took you off the, the they ECMO? T- they took me off on day seven. Day seven, yeah. And um, I said to my wife, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about this until we're processing afterwards, but I said to her, well, like, how would you know it was okay to take me off life support? And again, just living in this community, this community is so special in so many ways, but we we know people. And she said, you know, not only would I trust the doctors because of the care that they were providing to you, but I I knew your doctor Mm -hmm. goes to the same church as us. I knew you knew him. You know, I I could just put my faith in that. And, um, you know, it was a scary decision, but but she was ready to make it and my heart was working on its own. And I think, you know, this is probably where I start to come into memory. So yeah. I don't, I didn't have any experience of like seeing a white light or any, anything like that. I, I believe in that, but that wasn't my experience. Or if I did, I can't remember that. Mm-hmm. And I think this was probably around the time that I was being woken up, but I really have no concept of time uh, during this whole stint. But I felt like I was on drugs and I was on drugs were, yeah. and, and I was having these like really like wacky dreams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I described them as colorful cartoons, like just felt like, did I take drugs? And I felt like I was laying in my own bed at home and it was nighttime and I did something wrong. And I thought to myself, well, I just need to wake up Carolyn and just tell her that I did drugs. I knew she'd be mad at me. I knew I shouldn't do drugs, <laughs> but I shouldn't feel that way. Right. And that's, I was grappling with that. That's one thing I can remember. Uh, and I think it was close to being woken up, but I honestly have no idea. And then I can remember, you know, being woken up and I'm in a hospital room and I have no idea why. And I'm still intubated. Yeah. And no one tells me why at this point in time, other than saying, well, you're going to have to go back to the OR. And this is to re- take me off ECMO and yeah. everything else that uh, defib you'll know how to describe better than I can. And I see two gentlemen walk in, and I know both of them, and I know one really well, mountain bike with him as well. It's two CRNAs. Yeah. And I thought, well, like, thank goodness I have these guys um, here if I'm going to the OR. I have no idea why I'm going to the OR. I don't even know that I'm intubated at this time. And the one CRNA says, well, if I do this right, you won't remember anything. I don't remember anything that happened in the OR, but came back to the room. It was nighttime, and I'm still intubated, and now kind of with it, and all I want to do is 
pull, pull that tube out. Pull yeah. this out. Right. So I'm restrained, and uh, they tell me, well, the tube will come out tomorrow. And all I could do was look at the clock on the wall <laughs> in the hospital room and knew that it wasn't even tomorrow yet, and I couldn't sleep that whole night. I just watched that clock. Mm-hmm. And it was a physician assistant who walked in at one point, middle of the night, I think it was maybe 2, 3 a.m. And she said to the nurse, you can give him a little bit of, little bit more drugs. And that did help me. And she looked at me and she said, uh, you're lucky to be here. Welcome to March. And in my mind, like I can, I'm never going to forget this. I can remember vividly like that it was supposed to be February <laughs> mm-hmm. because I could remember, you know, prior to this happening and. This woman just told me it's March. No idea. Is it March 1st? I have no idea. But at that point, I'm like, wow, something serious must have happened. And um, I move on to just thinking about when the morning can come and I can be extubated. And I'm extubated uh, that morning. And everyone wanted to, everyone knew my wife was showing up at about 8 a.m. That's when she was routinely showing up every morning. And they wanted to have me extubated by the time she came. Mm-hmm. And they did. And by the time she came, you know, I'm there and I still don't know what happened. Um, but I'm grateful to see her, you know, just feel grateful uh, about many things. And once I learned that I had a major heart attack, that I'm lucky to be alive. And my other friend who's a physician at Geisinger who did CPR, he's there. And I looked at him and I just started crying because they didn't tell me a lot about, I didn't hear the story. And this was a Saturday. I didn't hear the full story till Sunday. Mm -hmm. I guess they didn't just want to shock me with too many things. I just started crying and I said, you saved my life. And, um, you know, that, that was such a moment and I couldn't really talk too much when you're intubated. I didn't really have a voice. Everyone wanted me resting, but I had this adrenaline in me this high that was in me because in my mind I should be dead and I'm alive. And I don't remember much about that whole day until the evening. And my wife said, you must sleep. You didn't sleep last night. You've been through all this stuff. You must sleep. And I'm going home. My kids are there. My family's there, everything. And so I lay down in bed, you know, get the cover on the lights go down and I pretend like I'm going to sleep. And I know (laughs) There's no way I'm going to sleep because I have mm-hmm. this adrenaline. Of, I felt reborn, yeah. and I'm glad to talk about that, but I felt reborn, <laughs> and I thought, I don't want to upset my wife, like I, <laughs> what I've just put them through, but I can't sleep. And I had the best nurse that night, and he said to me, look, this happens to people. If you want to stay awake all night, if you want to shoot the shit, I'm sorry for my language, <laughs> but that, that was the conversation. We can do that. I got to take your vitals like every 45 minutes. I'll help you go to the bathroom, all that stuff. But I I was awake for 48 hours. And um, I certainly don't have that same type of high as I sit here and tell you this story. But six weeks later, I still, I have this amazing just gratitude and thankfulness of uh, being here. And I, I don't know if that feeling, you know, will ever go away. I guess to some extent it will. But it's always going to be now a part of who I am. Yeah. Wow. So that's an uh, incredible story. The uh, the inability to sleep is is very common, you know. So when you're basically sedated for a week 
and uh, and you finally are off most of that stuff, and you're uh, you don't even know what nighttime and daytime is unless you look out the window, and because it's there's always a little bit of busyness in the intensive care unit, uh, so it's a challenge for our patients to get sleep at night um, in those situations. Uh, definitely hard, and I didn't go through what you went through, but I had my back operation two months ago, and I couldn't sleep at night. I mean, it's unless they gave me lots of drugs, which the first night I need it because of pain. But anyway, it's not a good sleep when you do that. So, um, so that's pretty normal. Plus, yeah, I mean, you probably do have this surge of you know cortisol, adrenaline, and, and running through your body after you've woken up and you realize what happened. Um, that's just uh, remarkable, and. Uh, and then, uh, so then you went home and you still had some issues because those tubes that you put in your groins are, are big. They make big holes in the blood vessels. And so you, you're restricted in your movement at that point. And, uh, so you still have healing to go with that, right? I have healing to go with that. If, if someone would have told me that you're going to have tubes the size of a garden hose up your groin, right? <laughs> I, probably I would have said, well, I'd rather die. And of course I wouldn't rather die, but that sounds extremely painful to me. Now, that isn't the most painful thing. And I've I've healed, but I had some bleeding issues. I had pseudoaneurysms. I was on blood thinner, mm-hmm. and my arteries are, you know, beaten up from, from all of this. But in the grand scheme of things, they're minor. But if there's anything that I was down about in this first six weeks, I knew if I had to go to the ER for a bleeding issue— they weren't sending me home. I knew I was going to have to stay the night. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be staying the night in a hospital right now. Right. Um, but anyways, you get over that kind of quickly, and that care has been great. But I'll tell you where the pain is, and that's the CPR site. Right. And so still today, that hurts. Oh, wow. And if if I cough, it hurts. If I sneeze, it hurts. Yeah. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's less than a 1 now. I can still feel it. Uh, the day that I came home, I didn't sneeze. I, I would hold my nose. I would do anything to not sneeze right. because it was it would take the breath out of me. And so for those of you that have known CPR or learned CPR, I mean, it's a major, major push. You need to break things to do it right. And um, I guess why I'm on this point, I know how to do CPR. I, I need to be recertified uh, because it's it's been a while. But uh, for anyone listening you really should consider learning CPR, becoming recertified in CPR, yeah. and um, familiarize yourself with an AED device. De- device. Um, that's I don't need anything. I'm very blessed in life. Um, and that's number one question that people keep asking, well, what do you need? I'll help you with this. I'll help you with that. The answer that I'm giving or my wife is giving or my son and daughter, learn CPR. I hope you never need to use it. Mm-hmm. But if you do need to use it, you can really save somebody's life. Yeah, and uh, to that point, we uh, uh, after your experience, we um, decided that one of our PACs has taken the uh, the lead on getting whoever uh, wants to take advantage of it in our PACs uh, CPR certified. So we're in the process of working on somebody to do that, and we're going to have it at the First Baptist Church in Danville. And so anyway, uh, because of your experience we decided that, you know, we need to get as many people uh, CPR certified as possible. And we still have a number of sort of medical personnel, pharmacists. I'm a PA. We have some doctors that work out with us. So the odds are there's probably going to be somebody there that knows how to do CPR. But um, but that's another 
good thing to come out of this, I think, is that we're going to, if we, if we follow through on this, which we, we should, is we're going to get a lot more people certified yeah. uh, in doing that. If you're not certified in CPR, basically find the breastbone, press hard and fast. And whatever you're doing, you have to press harder and faster because I guarantee you're probably not going to press hard and fast enough initially. Staying alive. <laughs> right. right? Yes, staying alive. To the beat of staying alive. Not I will survive. Not I will survive. Staying, staying alive. alive. Um, the uh, Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, when you do it effectively, especially that long, you're going to crack some ribs, even if it's just micro fractures. And some I've done it multiple times in my life because of my job, but sometimes you pop the rib off the sternum. And that could be very painful and stuff like that. I'm glad to know that it's less than one now uh, for you. So it's healing up. And like you said, like he wasn't on like a nice, flat, comfy surface, right? He's on a mountain bike trail, rocks. hard surface. And, yeah. So you could do effective CPR when, the, when you're laying on a hard surface at least. But it was probably uneven. Yeah. yeah. Have, have you went back to that area? I've not gone back to that area yet. Um, not, not afraid to go back to that area. And my wife and I were just talking about that today. I mean, there's a number of things that I want to do. Um, everyone in the hospital who took care of me was able to thank personally. And some people I'm going to have a relationship with for a really long time. Yeah. And I'm going to go see them frequently. Um, I need to get to the EMS folks in Atlas, and I uh, plan to do that. I did get to meet with the uh, LifeLight folks. And, you know, for me... I was just so grateful to be able to meet them, but for them, and I didn't expect this, they were so grateful to be able to meet me Yes, because a lot of times you don't have the outcome right? and they don't get to follow up with the patient because they're, they're not here. Um, but, but I need to get back to that site. Um, not on a bike. I need to do it by hiking. Mm -hmm. Uh, but ironically we have this great trail system, uh, that's part of Geisinger's property uh, right behind the hospital here in Danville. And a number of the trails are named after medical terms. Mm -hmm. And so just this week, I felt it's very hilly. It's a lot of climbing. And I didn't feel up to hiking it. I just didn't think it'd be appropriate. But I started cardiac rehab. I'm a little bit more comfortable with how I can push myself. Uh, I've done two hikes this week on the trails that I normally ride on. And Monday, my wife and I hiked the Widowmaker Trail. <laughs> And so she hates the names. Yeah. I, I still don't hate the names, but I couldn't wait to get on to Widowmaker. And the reason it's named Widowmaker is because it starts at the lowest point of the trail. And as you climb it, you climb in one mile, 450 feet. And so it's a tremendous climb to do on a bike. It's technically challenging. There's rocks, there's roots, there's some ledges you need to go up over. And um, it really taxes your heart. And that's why it's called the Widowmaker. Right. Well, I survived the Widowmaker. I needed to survive it again on foot. I will bike it again um, mm -hmm. someday. And today we went for a hike at Geisinger, and I passed my stress test on the stress, stress test, test trail. Stress test trail, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's not quite as intense as uh, mm -hmm. Widowmaker, um, but uh, really blessed to have those trails, and, and a lot of them are named after medical terms. Right. I, I've hit two of them. I'm saving CPR trail for the lifesaver who performed CPR on me. And he and I will hike CPR trail likely next week. Oh, cool. that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Dialing up and I both know the guy that did it. And uh, yeah. that, that's very cool. Um, I, I got to talk a little bit about the Strava segments. You know, he's talking about all these trails that he rides on. And I know he takes oh. pride in like getting personal best times on <laughs> right. his Strava segments. But what was it? Maybe two weeks, two and a half weeks or so after 
after this took place and you were starting to walk again, I think you finally had pushed out his Strava from the morning yeah. that this took place. Um, and, uh, it, it could be an advertisement for, for Strava that you can, you can see his ride from that morning, his ambulance ride to Shimogan hospital. And then it tracked him still during his life flight yeah. ride to the hospital. Max speed was like what? 168 miles an hour or something like that. Yeah, I have 168 <laughs> mile. I need to turn it into a segment. Yeah, we should turn that into a segment. Yeah, nobody will beat that. <laughs> no one will beat that. It'll be the only person to do that segment. Uh, but yeah, it was like wow, it's just well, so out there forever, right? Apparently, they cut all your clothes off, you know, when you're going through this. But yeah. my watch was still on and Strava was still running. Yeah, and um, doctor gave my son my watch and he saw Strava was still running. My son's <laughs> big into Strava as well yep. as a runner. And so he stopped it. He wanted to make sure it didn't post because no one, you know, knew what was going to happen at that point yet. But he said, Dad, yeah. you know, your Strava's recorded if you want to post it. <laughs> and I did want to post it. I'm, you know, not not try to do that. I'm, And I thought, well, what am I going to name this? And so I named it uh, The Will to Live is Greater Than the Opportunity to Die. Wow. And... Uh, you know, that'll be my most famous thing that I ever do on Strava. You know, if we, if uh, we spell your name for everyone out there, everyone's going to befriend you on Strava now just to see this. <laughs> That's up to you if you want to do that. He's always pretty, he's already pretty heavily followed, I'm sure. But yeah, I'm looking at his, I'm looking at his Strava from that Well, there's day. a whole lot of F3 guys around Strava around the, around the world. And yeah, they'll be like, I got to see this that. Out. Yeah. yeah. This episode of the High Impact Man podcast brought to you by Strava. Did anybody get you a t-shirt? There's t-shirts out there that like, if I collapse, pause my Strava. Has anyone got you one of those shirts yet? I no, I've, seen, I've seen that. You've seen those? Okay. I actually totally forgot about the fact that that exists till you just mentioned it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, that's something I would definitely wear. It's something that my wife will roll her eyes at and say, <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Just like, you know, you shouldn't go up Widowmaker anymore. But, you know, those are things that I need to do. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I, I respect what happened to me and I'm going to be very cautious, uh, about how I approach things and do it at the right time. But yeah, I, Exercise is an extremely port, important part of my life for so many reasons, and it's going to continue to be. Well, you know, the, the good thing is, I'm pretty sure it's a good thing, is that um, you don't have coronary artery disease. So your risk is basically zero almost. But with age, it goes, you get some risk and risk factors, that kind of thing. But, but you don't have any coronary artery disease. You had a catheterization approved. You have no coronary artery. This clot came from somewhere else and just happened to Go down the left anterior descending artery and plug. Um, so once you re- your heart recovers from this whole shock and trauma, um, you should be, you know, the same risk as somebody who didn't have a heart, I think, same risk as somebody who didn't have a heart attack who has no coronary disease who's in their 40s. I'm working on building my strength back up, and yeah. I've lost weight over this whole event, so... Uh, I'll be back to my fighting weight and hopefully I'll, <laughs> I'll get some more PRs against myself and if not yeah. top tens, uh, yeah, some Strava segments. Yeah. Cause at this point really no, no activity restrictions, obviously, you know, gradual return, mm-hmm. but yeah, like you'll be able to get back to normal activity yeah. gradually over time. So tell me how does, uh, you kind of answered this a little bit, but how has your perspective changed through all this? Yeah. So I think I'm still figuring that out. Um, mm-hmm. you know, six weeks later, uh, it, there's some immediate things that change. So, um, I, I mentioned I'm not a big drinker, but I'm not going to drink alcohol anymore. And, you know, maybe I will at some point, but I have no desire to do that. 
part of the reason for that, don't judge any, I like to drink beer, don't judge anybody for drinking it, but I had fun in life. You know, why do something that, you know, might contribute to heart disease? Right. Another wacky thing was a coffee drinker. Didn't drink it excessively, but not drinking coffee anymore. Got over those those caffeine headaches when I was in a coma. <laughs> uh, and so I'm just keeping drugs out of my body that beside the ones I need to take for my heart right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some things that, you know, kind of our immediate change. My diet wasn't horrible, but lunchtime was my downfall. Mm. My, my wife eats super healthy. My family <laughs> eats super healthy. And so at lunchtime, that was kind of like my free pass. And so I would love to eat a, a, a sub or a hoagie. Right. would love to eat that. I'm not going to be eating that stuff anymore. Um, maybe, you know, as a cheat meal five times a year type of thing. I'm not going to, you know, deprive myself mm-hmm. 100%. But, you know, those are some things that, you know, kind of are immediate changes in perspective. I think the other, you know, things that I'm still figuring out, I'm still off work, but, um, I love what I do, mm-hmm. but I have a very intense job and I work a lot and I'm still going to work a lot in, in the future, but I need to make sure that I balance things better. Yeah. And, um, I, I need to figure out what that looks like. And, you know, that's going to be by trial and error, but that's a, you know, something that's changed <laughs> with my perspective. Two more things. I'm very proud looking back. I, I really haven't missed events in my kid's life. If I had, you know, that'd be something that I'd feel really guilty about and like, mm. thank goodness I survived. Um, but I need to make sure I maintain that and, you know, hit even more things. And so as my son goes off to Penn, I need to see college running. Mm. And my friend here, Troy, he sees <laughs> a lot of his kids yeah. college running. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll ask him for advice how to do that. And I've always been a religious person. Um, my, my mom was a Catholic school teacher. My mom is super religious. My dad was Jewish and converted to Catholicism when my when I was two, when my brother was born. Um, he was very religious. That's an important part of my life. During the pandemic, when you couldn't go to church, I strayed from my religion a bit. Um, I didn't question my beliefs or anything like that, but I was somebody who went to church every Saturday or Sunday and I wasn't watching it on YouTube. And then once uh, church resumed, I wasn't going every week. I was going sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't missed church, um, you know, and I'm not going to miss church in the future. It's just deepened. I, I've been provided a miracle. I'm confident of that. It's deepened my relationship with God even further. And, um, you know, I'd say that's another immediate thing. And the Catholic religion going to confession is an important thing. A lot of Catholics don't go to confession, I, I don't think. I hadn't gone to confession, I don't think, in like 17 years. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I went, um, and I don't know why, you know, I waited forever to go. There's no judgment in confessing your sins, but I felt, you know, I didn't want to do that. Well, I would have potentially died without being able to do that. That's an important part of my faith that I do that, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do that more routinely. Uh, so those are, those are some of the things, but honestly, I think I'm still going to be figuring out new perspectives. And I think one of the biggest things that I believe in is karma. I believe in it in, in many different ways. Like if you treat people well, you'll be treated well in return. And I've always lived by that. I love going to uh, concerts and I've given people free tickets. I've received free tickets. Mm-hmm. They call that a miracle. 
in the <laughs> concert venues that I go to when you get free tickets, but that's been a form of karma. And I, I've been provided a real life miracle, uh, you know, for whatever reason. And I just need to amplify what I do to give back to other people as a result of that. Well, that's, yeah, that's a great, uh, um, great perspective on things. Um, you know, I, uh, our faith is so important and it, these things, you know, you go through life, you take things for granted, right? Even our relationships with other people, because we always got tomorrow and you don't always have tomorrow. Yeah. You just never know. And, uh, so, uh, it's important to take advantage of every day. Uh, and I think, but I think what you've hit on for me, the two most important things, my relation relationships, first, my relationship with God and then my relationship with everyone else. And, um, you know, I think I don't, I don't care about karma. I care about doing the right thing. So I, sh- I mean, I'm sp- I regardless, should be- regardless of whether anything comes back. To yeah. You, right? Whether I get rewarded for it or not, I yeah. should just do the right thing. Right. I should just, I should just be nice to people. Yeah. Right. And so joyful always. Yeah. And I, I always reflect back to, it was either your first or second beatdown that you came to. I think we posed a question as far as like, keep, I, I don't remember what the message was, but it was something along the lines of, you know, what, what, what words do you have to pass on to somebody else or encourage them or something like mm-hmm. that? And your, your words were be kind. Yeah. Like I, I remember that specifically yeah. that uh, you just be kind and it's, it's how you live, you know, in my exposure to you and our, our friendship as we've gotten to know each other through, you know, through our kids and, and running and everything and some road trips to some meets and, uh, you're, you're a good person, you know, you're a extremely kind person. And definitely in this case, karma came back to you and in, in some different ways. Well, you know, one of the big things that happened through this, you weren't aware of it. Of course you're aware people yeah. have told you now is the amount of people that were praying for you, uh, was, was, there was a lot. So there's, you know, I know that your uh, own church, your family, your friends, but even though you don't just started coming to F3, you had a whole F3 community here p- praying for you. And um, not just at the beatdowns, but we, you know, always praying for you at the end of, in the circle of trust of every beatdown, but praying for you outside of that. So, um, you know, we just, it, it can bring a community together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely did. Well, the prayers worked. I am so grateful for the prayers, and I know that there were lots of them. There, there were two things, or two groups that um, knew what happened to me almost immediately, and thank goodness not before my wife knew. But right. the mountain bike community, this news traveled it's like, wildfire. like wildfire, and they knew. And then um, the community of people who are faithful. There's a, apparently a Danville prayer group and there's some other things. And my name went out on that almost immediately and it just spread like wildfire. And, you know, I never really question prayer, but you don't always see what happens as a result of your prayers. Yeah, I, I'm never going to question it ever again. I mean, the prayers that were provided to me worked mm-hmm. and they're still working. I mean, my, my recovery just a little over six weeks, six and a half weeks, I guess today is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And I need to hold myself back because I actually feel that good. And I know that I'm still healing on the inside and it's hard for me to hold myself back. But just the fact that I'm recovering like that is it's a power of prayer. Yeah. It's real folks. 
Joyful always. Pray, yeah. pray continually. I pray daily, but uh, yeah, prayer went into overdrive after uh, the news broke of what was going on with you, and definitely filled my life for a long, for for days there as yeah. uh, as the your story unfolded at the hospital and everything. How'd your kids handle it? That must have been really difficult for them. Yeah, you know that's they're extremely resilient, and um, you know there's really not a lot of emotional trauma in our house right now. And they handled it really well. And, you know, what, how they handled it in that week, you know, everyone has told me their maturity level, um, you know, just kind of how great they were, how great my wife was. But they, they describe it, it was a week from hell for them yeah. that, that first week. Yet I was able to give them some signs about 24 hours in. I think about 24 hours in, I could give a thumbs up could shake my head yes or no properly to what they were asking. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that helped them. But when, when I came back and was extubated and was f- essentially fine, even though a lot of recovering to do that, that was all they needed. And, um, you know, they, they handled things really well. As I think about my daughter at 14, almost 15, She's very mature. I'm sure she understands a lot of it. As I think about my son, he just turned 18 and wanting to be a nurse and eventually a CRNA. He's doing a co-op through Danville High School at Geisinger. He's in the OR two hours every morning during this school year. He's learned a lot just by shadowing and what he's able to do there. This, um, he leaned into this and he knew the questions to ask and, and and he helped my wife with that. And so that, that, you know, really solidified he must have a calling to what he wants to do. I never knew what I wanted to do when I was 17, 18 years old. He said he wanted to do that. Yeah. I think this solidified that. Um, but, you know, overall, they've they've handled things really well. You know, I'll share this because I am shocked that it, that it truly happened. But indoor states for track and field was Sunday – February 26th, my heart attack was Saturday, February 25th. My son ran on that Sunday, and apparently the conversation between he and his mom, my wife, was, you know, you you don't need to run. Like, it's fine. Don't go. He's one of the top runners in the state and in the nation, so it's important to him. But, you know, well, what should I do? What should I do? And I think my wife said to him something like, well, when your dad wakes up, this is how confident they were. When your dad wakes up, the first question he's going to ask you is, how did you do yeah. at indoor states? And that was the first question that I asked him. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I got to watch his race because it's online. He led that race um, for all but the final 400 meters. Yeah. And I think he ended up taking fourth. But he ran actually a PR for him for the 3,000, 831 is what he ran. And he ran that 24 hours, within 24 hours of his dad having a heart attack. Yeah. Um, so that's what I mean by resiliency. Mm-hmm. He ran nationals the Friday, the, the day after I was discharged from the hospital. You know, he continued on with, with that. But, you know, one of the things I reflect on is how strong he was to be able to do that. And it's not, you know, I'm not a dad who's pushing him to do that just to push him to do that. And Troy can attest to that. Yeah. I don't even ask him, you know, about his races anymore because he just has that drive on his own. So he didn't feel like he had to do that or he'd be in trouble. He has that own drive. 
but anywhere you are, whether it's at a track meet in this case or in the grocery store or wherever, you don't know what somebody's going through. Mm-hmm. Be kind. Back mm-hmm. to thanks for that reminder. Yeah. You know, no one knew what he was going through there. And, you know, he had a good experience there. Everybody was kind to him. But you hear about bullying, especially in that age, and you hear about different things like that. Just be nice to people. You truly don't know what they're going through. A yeah. kid who's winning a race for all but the last 400 meters right. as his dad for life and death, you know, 70 miles away. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great uh, point. Uh, you, you just don't know what people are going through and somebody might be acting out, being mean, acting inappropriately towards you. You might get mad at them. You just don't know what they're going yeah. through. Right. There's no excuse for bad behavior, but you know, we got to cut some slack to everybody. Be kind. Um, do you have any other questions for him right now? No, I don't think so. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the two questions we ask all of our guests. So the first, I think I know the answer to the second one, but the first one is, um, if you were to pick one person, could be somebody from the distant past, somebody alive today, whatever that you would look at as your hero, somebody inspired you or, or whatever, who would that be? It's my dad. Um, and it's, it's been that answer for a long time. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a few reasons for that, but, you know, I only had 16 years with my dad, but he had a huge impact on my life. You know, he showed me that faith was important. He showed me how to be a good husband. Um, he showed me how to be a good parent. He showed me, he, he showed me exercise. He showed me competitiveness. My dad hitchhiked to Woodstock when he was a kid. He oh loved boy. music. <laughs> All he, right. he, he showed me music. Yeah. I love music. And, um, you know, I just, you know, reflect on what a great dad he was and I'm a dad and I just want to be that. And, uh, that's, that's the one person and I'm going to send this to my mom. She doesn't know how to listen to podcasts, but I'll teach her. But (laughs) my mom is the strongest person I know. And I know you said only pick one. You can pick two. That's okay. There's no rules. Um, you know, my mom's been praying like, crazy since like she was a little girl and I think that you know contributes to me still being here but um you know having to raise three kids when your husband you know passes away unexpectedly I can't even fathom that yeah and the strength that that she has the faith that she has it's really it's led me to be successful and have a good life it's led my brother to be successful and have a good life and it's led my sister to be successful and have a good life. Yeah. And so I'm just really blessed to have been born into that family with my two parents. That's a great answer, man. Mm -hmm. Um, So the last question is this podcast goes out to hundreds of guys, thousands of guys. We have no idea. Do a couple hundred guys every week, a couple hundred guys. So, but this is a chance to give for you to give a message to the men of America. What would your message be for the men of America? Yeah. So, um, You've you've heard the theme, and it's going to be a few messages. But uh, be be kind, be nice to people. Learn CPR. I'm not joking. Yeah. Learn it. Yeah. I hope you never have to use it, but learn it, and just try to be the best person you can be every day. Uh, that's that's the message I want everybody to hear. It's simple, but it's uh, hard to follow. But if you follow it, you're going to live a great life. Yeah, that's a great answer, man. We'll dial up. I think we just spoke to another high impact man. Definitely did. Right here in our own backyard. Yeah. Right here live in the studio. Yeah. We haven't had anybody live in the studio for a while. So 
great to have you and thanks thanks for coming on thanks so much uh, for having me guys and thanks for bringing me into f3 and the the fellowship part is a great aspect of f3 and uh really appreciative of both of you gentlemen you guys are um great role models in this community well, we, we're trying. Thanks. That's an honor for you to say that. But, you know, what's really interesting, though, is you haven't been part of F3 very long because of your story and stuff. You could say why, but I've, there's a guy that came this past Saturday, a new guy, that I tried to get him here a couple years ago. But he showed up. I think he showed up because of you. Yeah. Um, Slapshot. R- relationships are so important to me, yeah. and I look to just forge meaningful relationships with with anybody uh and and slapshot somebody uh who i formed a relationship with probably 12 12 or so years ago and um you know he just wanted to walk with me mm-hmm. and i said well i'm walking with the f3 crew do you know what that is and kind of knew what it was he couldn't exactly remember I, nevin i know you invited him to it a few years ago yeah but he showed up and uh he, he showed up to walk with me and now he's learned what F3 is about, and he has an F3 name yeah. uh, immediately. And this guy's one of the most competitive guys you'd ever meet. You, you'd ever yeah. meet. You don't know that because he was walking with me. Right. Um, but watch out for who he invited. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get, him, to a, uh, get him involved in a real beatdown this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully he comes. comes, uh, shows back <laughs> up uh, this week. I uh, I won't be there Saturday. I'm, I'm heading out to Florida, but hopefully uh, hopefully we set another record. We had 15 yeah. guys last Saturday. Yeah. So. It's a good turnout. Yeah, it was. All right. Well, uh, Peloton, you know, you and I didn't know each other personally for up until relatively recently, but man, what a way to get to know each other. Absolutely. We started getting to know each other when you're showing up for the pre-runs and stuff. And I know you did the gobbler challenge and, and another one. I wasn't there for the other one that you did, but, um, but it'd be great to get to know you without having to go through this. <laughs> But it's great to get to know you, brother. I still owe him a mountain bike ride because part of the deal was that he was he would come to the pre-run and run run with us. But I, I have to go mountain biking sometime with him, and so I, I bought a little time. Do you uh, have a mountain bike? I have a I have a a, a vintage mountain you a bike. Huff, from, you have a huffy? No, no, no. It's it's a legit mountain bike, but it's it's a little dated and archaic from a technology perspective. Because oh, okay. I, I used to ride a lot and do some racing, but uh, it's been a long, long, long time. I need to uh, upgrade, and I, I I think I told you right. Part of the reason why I've kind of held off on going mountain biking is I know if I go out, I'm going to probably want to go buy a new bike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Dialup may not like that. Yeah, and Mrs. Dialup knows that I probably won't get a cheap bike. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. And right. no mountain biker just has one bike. Oh, and, boy. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I didn't realize that when I first started mountain biking, but... I have four bikes right now. <laughs> See, so that, that's also beauty uh, of F3. Wise. It's free. You don't have to buy anything. Just you could, you could wear your jeans if you want to work out, whatever you want. We had a couple guys showed up in, in work shoes once. Yeah. All right. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on, man. Thanks so much for coming on and share your story. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.